You're listening to a sermon from Covenant Church. Amen. Thank you, Christy. All right. So we are in week four of a series called Steward. And a steward is someone who manages something on behalf of somebody else. We've been studying how, look, we have an opportunity and actually a call in and through Jesus to take everything that God puts in our hands and use it for good. Every speaking gift we have, every serving gift we have, and we're gonna see, actually, we have an opportunity to steward money on behalf of God. So this is week four into the series. This is gonna be a sermon about stewarding money. So here's the thing, a covenant. We don't talk about this all the time. Actually, I, I researched this. It's been like a few years. I think it's been at least three and a half years since there's been a sermon on money. And if you haven't been here in a while or if it's your first time, you either feel really unlucky right now or you're like, I won the lottery. This is amazing. I just, you nailed it. So look, it, two things would be weird and off. If, you, if there was sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon on money, it was all about the money, that would be weird and bad. Also, if we could never talk about money, that would be weird. If that was like the one thing that was just too sensitive to talk about, that would also be off. Okay, out of Jesus' 38 parables, 16 are about money and possessions. So what are we supposed to do? Like swerve around the cones and avoid all those? In the gospel, in the gospels, okay, the four accounts of Jesus' life, one out of every 10 verses deals directly with the topic of money. So we couldn't, look, we don't want to be a church that talks about it all the time like it's about money. That could be like imbalance, a hidden idol there. It would also be a sign of imbalance and maybe a hidden idol if that was the one thing we couldn't talk about. So when God talks about it in the scriptures, we're going to talk about it. And I'm going to read us a passage. Uh, it's an instruction to a young pastor. It's in 1 Timothy. It's page 994 in the Bibles that are under the chairs. By the way, if you need a Bible or would like a Bible, you're free to take one of those. Page 994, I'm going to read a passage in 1 Timothy. And it'll also be up on the screen. Let's look at this instruction from the book that we love, the scriptures. 1 Timothy 6, starting with verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, Thus storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Amen. All right. Now, this is an instruction. He says, as for the rich. Very few of us feel rich. That's because there's always someone with more. I have a friend who's done really well in business, and he has a vacation home in Naples, Florida, and we are in his boat in Naples, Florida, and he's like, we are out of his neighborhood on the ocean there. He's like, hey, these are the nice homes in Naples. This is where like the rich people live. And I was like, yeah, because your neighborhood is so shady. <laughs> your section of Naples. I really, I want to club up the car, extra alarms. We tend to think the rich are other people. And it's because it's comparative, right? It's who you hang out with. 
and actually we're in a rich area and there's different ways we could go after this look if you have like 4200 bucks to your name high school kids you know if you could sell if you could have a yard sale sell all your stuff your summer job and have 42 bucks that's more than half the world will make in a year if you have $93,000 of wealth and that's like if you own, have some equity in a home or some cars you could sell or other stuff, that puts you in the top 10% of the world. You're in the top 10%. And you know, there'd be ways to dial that in more. You could figure out exactly where you're at. But look, the, the important question is not how rich you are compared to others, but what you will do with what you have. That's actually the most thing, important thing to walk away with what you will do before God with what you have. It's not where you're ultimately where you compare with others. How will you steward what God has put in your hands and also your very hands themselves? So this morning, five things to remember, five things to get in your heart and soul so that you will be a good steward of the money that God puts in your hands, okay? Five things to get in your heart. Let these things be deep in you. Let, let them free you, propel you, and you, by God's grace, can be a good steward of what the money that God puts in your life, all right? Number one, number one, don't forget where you got everything. Don't forget where you got everything. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. What's haughty? It means arrogantly superior. It's to means, it means to be like, I did this. Those people did not do this. It's to feel like, to look down on those who have less. And it's to break your arm to pat yourself on the back. The opposite of haughty is humble. Don't forget where you got everything, which is God. So a few weeks ago, Paul asked the Corinthians... Uh, we went over a couple passages a few weeks ago. I'll just remind us. Paul asked the Corinthian Christians, what do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? And actually everything we've received is from God. Everything that's ever made you smile, friendship, poetry, the power of rock music, the, the wind in the trees, the beautiful sunshine, the things that you've accomplished, the gifts you were born with, the ways you've developed them, you should thank God. Paul asks, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you act as if you did not receive it? There's an Old Testament version of this uh, in Deuteronomy 8. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power, the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. He gave you the abilities, the breaks. He gave you the ability to work hard. He gave you the ability to start that business. He gave you the ability to do well for yourself, which we should actually flip the script on that and say, I want to do well for Jesus and his kingdom. Don't forget where you got everything. And if you have amnesia about where you got to be where you are, your attitude will be off. If we forget that, our attitude will be off and it'll actually be hard to be generous towards other people. Don't forget where you got everything. Point number two, second thing to get in our heart, 
It's, a, it, and it's, a, it's another warning, but it's also an invitation. Remember your hope is in God, not money. All right? Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The uncertainty of riches. We all know that money can be there, and now it's not there so much. You know, stock market. Oh, it's doing this. Oh, now it's doing this. Right? There's a starting place here. Before, you know, the starting point to teach people with money to be generous is to say, hey, our hope's not in wealth and how, what the numbers are in certain accounts but our hope is in God. How do you know where your hope is? Your hope is where you get your deepest comfort. Your hope is where your deepest comfort is, where you look. And you can know when that comfort's threatened because you're gonna feel a tendency to wanna flip out. Uh, In January 2009, this is like post Okay, this is like housing crisis period. A billionaire named Adolf Merkel committed suicide. And it was weird and the world kind of marveled because yes, he lost hundreds of millions of dollars. What's the worst decision you've ever made? It hasn't involved, (laughs) what's the worst financial decision you've ever made? It hasn't involved hundreds of millions of dollars. He bet the wrong way on VW stock, okay? And he just, it cost him. But the thing was, he was still worth hundreds of millions of dollars. It wasn't about the money. It wasn't going to be, he wasn't going to be in need. It's about where his hope was. It's about where his deepest comfort was. And that's why it was a tragedy. Even with all that money, somehow his hope or his sense of self was tied up in a number and in money. Let's have our hope be in God. And see, here's the thing. Okay, teenagers, this is true. Retirees, this is true. Who we really are is who we are in Jesus, in and through Christ. It's not what you have materially. It's not in your looks. It's not in your career success. Who you are most deeply is who you are in Christ, and that's secure. It's secure. Uh, In 1563, a catechism was finished in Heidelberg, Germany. Um, It's just a little town. Christy and I actually got to visit this town one time in our lives. This famous catechism, and a catechism is just a teaching tool about the basics of Christianity. It's in question and answer format to make it easy to remember. And for hundreds of years, people have memorized this, the Heidelberg Catechism, a teaching tool for basic Christianity for adults and for kids. And question number one is this, what is your only comfort in life and death? What is your only comfort in life and in death? We're going to put this up on the screen. Here's the answer from the Heidelberg Catechism. That I'm not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, 
He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. And because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Amen. So what it is to be a Christian. Do you have that hope? Do you have that hope in life? The hope and promise of the gospel is that through Jesus, we actually belong to God. And that's not like invasive and threatening. It's actually deeply reassuring that even death, death becomes actually a doorway into God's presence. And we look forward to reunion with our loved ones, but we live in light of the comfort that God has us Jesus is with us, that actually the worst things in life can't take God's presence away from us, and God works actually all things for our good, not, not the always we understand what he's doing or that we see it, or we can do the math, but that's what he's promised. We belong to him. He's paid for all of our sins. Uh, if you don't know Jesus yet, you can this is the invitation of the gospel. It's really good. Talk to us after the service. Let someone pray with you. There's a prayer room over here. Someone would like to pray with you. If you're spiritually exploring, let us pray with you. Let us pray for you. Christians who are here. Okay, now I want to talk to Christians. Do you, do you live in light of this is your hope? It's not on your money but your deepest hope is in God. That's freeing. It's really, really good news. Our hope is in God, not money. Third thing that we need to get deep in us. Third thing, this is how God's truth protects us. Remember the desire to be rich. It's a great way to wreck your life. It really is, it's a great way. Look, there's, you wanna do well in your job. You wanna make money, that's not why you're there. You're not a 40 hour a week volunteer, right? You wanna make money, you want your business to do well. What this is talking about is wanting to be rich too much. That's why it's later uh, in the passage I'm about to read, it describes it as a craving, okay? If you let this desire to be rich run your life, it's gonna mess you up. Most popular verse not in the Bible. Money is the root of <laughs> yeah, and it's like, ah, it's not quite what it says. Close, but actually listen to the passage. So he's talking about false teachers, okay? False teachers who imagine that godliness is a means of gain. False teachers are in it for the money. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, a man of God, flee from these things. So it's the same chapter that I read from earlier, 1 Timothy. He's instructing a young pastor. It's meant to be read publicly to a church to warn us, hey, there's a lot of ways you can go wrong in life. 
by wanting to be rich. You could work too hard. You don't spend enough time with your family. Your relationships suffer. Your health suffers. You make foolish decisions. You cut corners. You lie. You can get caught. You get greedy. You do stuff that hurts people. You know, how did the housing crisis happen? We can want making money too much, and so that becomes a controlling thing, and it makes life sad. And so we're to aim for godliness with contentment. He's like, hey, you know what you should aim for? Godliness and be content. And he does this truth. We brought nothing into the world, we'll take nothing out. You didn't bring anything into this world, and you're not going to take anything out. Now let me go country preacher on you, okay? Some sayings, how would the country preacher in the West explain this? Here are some of the sayings that have come down to us. A funeral suit ain't got no pockets. They had actually make suits to bury people in. You don't sew pockets into those suits for obvious reasons. A funeral suit ain't got no pockets. You don't see a hearse towing a U-Haul, right? You can't take it with you. You just can't. And so actually, you're a steward of money now while you're alive, and then uh, you get to shape how it's used in the world, and then you leave this world without that money. And other people will have it. Probably some relatives will do some good stuff with it, probably some stupid stuff with it. And that's just the way it is. How are you going to steward the money that you have? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Being content is a great thing to aspire for. And it'll actually help you to be generous if you're content. Uh, There's a book written by a psychologist named Tim Kasser. The book's entitled The High Price of Materialism. And he's actually, he did some research about parenting, and he talks about the difference between, between extrinsic aspirations and intrinsic aspirations. Basically, outer goals and motivations and inner goals. The outer, extrinsic, being motivated by things like wealth, fame, image, or intrinsic motivations and goals being motivated by, hey, I want healthy relationships. I want to provide for my family. I want to be able to give. I want to have a legacy of generosity. I want to do good. And he did research on this, and this is part of the high price of materialism. If children grow up and value the only outer things, wealth, fame, image, quote, from his research, they face a greater risk of unhappiness including anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, and problems with intimacy. Anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, problems with intimacy. It means problems with relationships. Also, they're meaner. They're less empathetic, less cooperative, more manipulative and competitive. Living to be rich, and even if we accidentally shape our kids to have those goals, it's a great, it'll actually make them unhappier. It's really sad. And we need to really be intentional in how we talk about this, think about this. We need to model things. We need to be part of a community 
in a, the, the big family of the church that lives in a countercultural way. So our kids actually grow up and like, hey, there's more things than making a lot of money. There's more to life than making a lot of money. And what kind of person you are on the inside is precious to God and it really matters. And it actually protects kids. Wanting to be rich too much, it's a great way to wreck your life. Fourth thing, fourth thing to get deep in our soul. Remember the call to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So what's he command? Verse eight, they are to do good. Be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. That storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Okay. Look at Jesus until you're ready to share. He's intentionally repeated the word rich. He's like, I'm, okay, so speak to the rich. Don't hope in riches. Hope in God who's richly blessed you. And you know what way you ought to try to be rich? Be rich in good works. <laughs> Have a lot, a lot of good works. Have a lot, a lot of things that you've done for Jesus. The right way to be rich is to use the money you have to be rich in good works, be generous, share it. And notice how he says this. A percentage isn't what's mentioned here, a post, but a posture. Not a percentage is mentioned, but a posture. Now in the Old Testament, there was Okay, and this is like, the Old Testament's like a lot of the Bible. God taught the ancient Israelites, one of the things is they had a regular tithe, which means a regular 10%. And they actually gave on top of that. So actually the deep dive on this, it wasn't a simple 10th, it was actually more. Here's what they did. They gave a 10th of everything to the Levites and that provided for the temple, those who did ministry, festival tithe, Every two out of three years, the people would take an additional tenth of what remained. According to God's instruction in Deuteronomy 14, they set it aside for this epic party. And can you imagine, okay, we're all going to take a tenth of what we own. We're going to have a party for like a week, and we're going to invite all the poor in our town. Be amazing. We're going to invite everybody. Okay? So they did that. There was also the charity tithe. Every third year, another tenth of the remaining would go towards the poor, widows, orphans, and marginalized. Every 50 years, they are instructed to cancel debts, the sabbatical year. So uh, a simple 10% tithe in the Old Testament, it, it's not that simple. It's probably, it, it seems to be around 17% to 23%, and then they had other taxes and stuff. How people are motivated in the New Testament is basically like, look at all the grace of God to you. Now be radically generous. Look at the radical grace of Jesus to you and be radically generous. And two kinds of good works are mentioned, we see modeled in the New Testament. Some, most giving is given directly to the church and church leaders distribute it to poor in ministry. So in Acts 4, they support, the New Testament church is supporting all these widows and they have to appoint deacons because they're like, look, we're supporting widows, which are the most economically vulnerable members of their population. People gave it to church leaders and the deacons disperse it wisely. All that's happening in the church. And we also see just direct giving. If God puts someone in your life and you can figure out a way to help them 
in a way that they'd be able to receive and it's not patronizing, help them, help each other, you know? Uh, so it's through the church, which supports ministry and missionaries and every kind of ministry. And, you know, we obviously we have that here. There's volunteers who count stuff and a finance team which oversees stuff and ministry is supported. But what's, what's commanded in the New Testament isn't a simple percentage, but a posture of radical generosity. So a, a couple things on this. So some of you uh, who are new to faith, this is an invitation and a wake-up call to begin to be a disciple in this area. Prayerfully decide to give a percentage of your income to the Lord by giving it to, to, to the church, and you'll support ministry. It really matters. It's precious to God. Just as at, here at Covenant, we call you to be a disciple in all areas of your life, and that's everything, begin to be a disciple of Jesus in the area of your finances. Okay? Uh, pray about it. Be a cheerful giver. Step out in faith. See what God does. Some of us should be encouraged to do exactly what you've been doing. Um, like, okay. And some of us, too, here's the thing, too, and I'm trying to be careful here. We're in a really rich nation, right? Our area, Bucks County, is wealthy. And it's actually possible uh, for some of us to give 10% of our money away. It doesn't even really impact our lifestyle at all. We don't have to sacrifice. We don't have to like say no to ourselves in some way so we can say a deeper yes to love, see more people loved, and to honor God more. And so I want to stir you up. Um, hey, there's a way some of us can give 10%. It doesn't even impact our lifestyle. Let's be radically generous. And that's what Paul, we see this, you know, these kind of commands all over the place in the New Testament because God has been so radically generous to us. Let's be generous and honor God with what I have, with what we have. Uh, if we're overly guilty about what we've done with money, let's look at Jesus, repent, trust Jesus, seek to step out in faith. If we're stingy about giving, we're missing Jesus. If we're freaked out about money, if you're scared, if you're kind of white-knuckling your life and your finances, you're missing Jesus. Let's trust the Lord. There are things to wrestle with here and make decisions. Uh, God loves a cheerful giver, so decide in your heart what you're going to give. And we give to both love people and to see people helped and churches started and ministry supported. And we see also giving as an act of worship. So that's what should motivate us. Let's be generous, ready to share. Are you ready? Is your lifestyle, that's the reflection quote, are you ready? Have you been ready to share? Is that the pattern? Uh, and it should be prayerful and planned. Like, it'd be better as a church, and this is actually healthier for the church as an organization, if you plan it, right? If you decide what to do and make it regular. Uh, a lot of giving happens online. Some of us, uh, sometimes I like to go to old school and in that moment where we've talked about it and we worship, st stick a check in there. But plan, okay? Don't, don't just fall kind of into something or be impulsive. Make a plan in faith. And the fifth thing is this. Remember this promise. 
This is a great promise. Your giving will be rewarded by God. Why does he say to be generous, ready to share? Verse 19, the storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So he's repeated the word rich four times. Hey, rich friends, don't put your hope in riches, but in the God who's richly blessed you and be rich in good deeds. And you know what? You'll store up treasure for yourselves. And this is the truth. And it's kind of mysterious. Everything you do for Jesus lasts forever. When you love people in Jesus' name, you pray a prayer in secret, you're faithful with the money that God gives you in a way that's secret. No one else sees it. It's actually precious to God. It's going to matter forever. Jesus said, I mean, Jesus said crazy things. He said, give a cup of cold water to one of these little ones. Think of the little kids. He said, give a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in my name. Truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. It matters to God. It's precious to him. Love matters forever. It's going to be unimaginably worth it. It's going to be so worth it. Everything we do for God is worth it forever. It's a great promise. So live in light of that. Your foundation for the future is Jesus. And by God's grace, he helps us do good things. That's your foundation for the future. So, hey, try to do this before you die. Try to do this before you leave this earth. Have a portfolio of good deeds. Have, God, you've saved me. This is a Christian posture, right? God, you've saved me, and I want to do good with what you put in my hands while I'm on this earth. Have a portfolio of good deeds. And guess what? It'll matter forever. God's promised it. It's a great promise. Uh, so covenant, let's, a lot of gifts, there's a lot of gifts that God's given us. Think about the worship teams, the children's ministry we have, the ministries that are started here. As we're good at those things, let's also seek to be good in the area of giving. As we excel in those things and like, hey, that's really, that ministry's got some momentum here. Let's have giving be something that we grow in being good at, being sacrificial and regular, and we'll be able to help more people. Uh, and I, I want you to know on a personal level, I'm preaching this sermon this morning. I had such peace thinking about it. I'm not worried. I'm not preaching this sermon or, you know, led us this way in the series because I'm worried. I'm actually excited. You know, this church gives a lot of money away. It's crazy. It's really fun to see. And, and also, think what we could do more for our state, for our region, as, by God's grace, we continue to grow in this area. It's exciting. Uh, let's ask God to show up in it. Um, let's seek to step out in faith in this area. Amen? Hey, let me pray for us, and we'll uh, prepare to worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as a church, um, as we have other gifts, we pray we'd grow in this area as well. Uh, we pray for folks who need counseling in some way about their financing. We'd be able to be helpful in that. Folks in debt, uh, overwhelmed, or have been crushed by life circumstances. Uh, we pray we'd be a church that helps each other, that shares what we have. Uh, we pray... 
uh, Jesus, because you've given us these beautiful promises, you would grow us as we step out in faith. And we, we do pray there would be regular sacrificial giving so a ton of people would be loved, so a ton of ministry would be funded, and that so that you would be honored in all these things. Jesus, we thank you that you are our deepest comfort. You are our deepest comfort. We thank you that it's not in what we look like, and it's definitely not in what we own or what we have. Uh, we thank you for the goodness of the gospel, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Let's stand and prepare to respond to this in worship. Thanks for listening. Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or in person on Sundays at 9 and 1045 a.m. Hope to see you there.